The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Line Trust, specialist fund managers. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Total Football. all of the crows, witness the airborne pig and prepare your ice skates for a slide on the frozen tundra of hell itself. It's happened. At last, it's finally happened. Sweden have reached the World Cup quarterfinal. Also, England won a penalty shootout. Sensational. On this historic episode of Total Football, we'll be unpicking England won, Colombia won and everything which took place after the final whistle. Does this match fix the broken English psyche forever? Is Harry Kane the world's greatest living human being? And is anyone going to be arriving at work on time on Wednesday morning? We'll head to Russia to get the lowdown on the other more glamorous side of the knockout round draw and figure out who we fancy most out of France, Uruguay, Belgium or Brazil. Plus a chat with Jeremy Wilson about England's next opponents, the decidedly under Zlatan Sweden national football team. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm joined by former England international and our columnist Jamie Carragher. Jamie, how are you feeling? I feel like I've played. Uh, <laughs> There's uh, a lot of emotions in that. I think we know how hot it is in the country, so I felt like maybe I was the same as everyone else at home, absolutely dripping wet, sweating, watching the game. But uh, we've heard a lot about penalties, uh, a lot of talk from England about penalties and what they do and the science behind it and what they've looked into. But until they actually win one, you know, it doesn't really matter all the talk. Yes, we, we see all the plan that's gone to it and that's fantastic. But I think we needed the, the proof, really, as, as England supporters. I think we got that tonight, uh, the pressure they're under, certainly with missing the first one. So to come through that, I think it shows that the year the work has paid off. Did you have any of that mental side of preparation for penalties when you were playing? Was it was it a factor? No, nothing. We, we didn't practice the mental side. We practiced a lot with penalties. That's one of the reasons why I took a penalty in 2006 because I, I performed so well in the training sessions, taking them. That's all it was about. So it certainly wasn't a lack of practice when we were involved. But it looks like, obviously, Gareth, maybe uh, Ashworthy, technical director they've looked in a lot, maybe a lot more a lot more sort of science looks to have gone behind it and how to sort of own the moment I think I've heard Gareth Southgate uh, speak about and that's certainly the case with myself whereas I actually rushed my penalty and took it too quickly and, and scored and was made to retake it again so obviously things like that do play a major part in it all too fresh in my mind watching the tragedy of that penalty, Jamie. It was extremely, uh, extremely sad <laughs> moment for all of us. Did you get good vibes from England in this penalty shootout? Were you seeing any of that being put into practice in the way the players were going up to take the penalties and the way they took them? Yeah, I mean, OK, Jordan Henderson missed one. But I think Eric Dyer's penalty, I think you could... I wouldn't say it was lucky to go in, but I mean, I think a better keeper may have saved it. But I think... The penalties of Kane, as you'd expect, Rashford's the way he just whipped his in Trippier. So in terms of Rashford and, and Trippier, yes, there may be greater penalties in training. I haven't seen them take too many uh, before. But the way they put them in, it was so confident and there was no sort of hesitation. It was, they just come in absolutely, like put a great pace and whip on the ball right into the corner. Trippier's almost in the, in the top corner. So, I mean, that shows the confidence they must have and belief they must have in these uh, in these penalty shootouts. Regardless of the manner of the victory, this this just seems like such a huge test pass for England coming through that sort of game. They've got to fancy themselves against Sweden. Now, how will the players be feeling after that game? 
Well, there'll be a massive buzz, of course. Well, you see the celebrations at the end. I mean, how, how often do you see... Well, it feels like never you see an England team run from the halfway line to celebrate either with a goalkeeper or someone to score the winning penalty. It just never happens. So that means the whole build-up to Saturday, everyone will be lively, bouncing into train, and everyone will be, you know, in, in such in a great mood and such a high, really going into that Sweden game now. So, yes... You'd be very confident England should overcome Sweden, but it will be a tough game, as tonight was be a tough game. I always felt England would just edge you, maybe not go to penalties, but it's a similar feeling to how I feel about the Sweden game. But maybe in a couple of days or two, I'm sure Gareth and his staff will look back at the performance and say, certain parts were good, but certainly second half and certainly an extra time, it sort of, in some ways, it seemed to fall apart, really, and Colombo come back into the game and You've got to look at that and think at some stage England will play, if they want to win this World Cup, a team who are better than them, really. At the moment, they're playing teams where they're, they're better than and they, they will maybe get punished in those moments. So the performance that we saw tonight still has to go up a notch. The match changed pretty dramatically after the equaliser for Colombia. Obviously, you would expect that, the emotions of conceding so late and the emotions of scoring so late for Colombia. Was there anything else that caused such a big change in momentum? It's, it's a difficult one for a manager because when you're late on in a game, you make changes to see the game out. You know, managers have always done that or change certain things, bring Vardy on for get more pace in behind because you get maybe pushed back a little bit more. So you bring a diet into the midfield uh, to try and shore it up. But once the game goes 1-1, it's back to a level playing field and you're trying to win the game. England didn't have the way of playing. The way we've seen, we've really loved Henderson sitting in midfield, two players ahead of him, looking to make runs in behind, Sterling coming off, Harry Kane right up the front. So the dynamic changed, and that Henderson went to Ali's position, which is to the left, where he's not suited really. Dyer, I don't think, was great when he came on, but it's not easy coming on as a substitute. I mean, I was, I was never great coming on as a substitute, certainly. So I have a little bit of sympathy, but it wasn't what Jordan Henderson was giving England in there. And then with Vardy coming on, that meant Kane dropped deeper into sort of Sterling's position and that doesn't suit Kane so the whole dynamic of how well England have been playing changed and I think that just had an impact in, in how we performed in extra time and we didn't really I mean Dyer had a great chance here with a head and I think sort of the last five to ten minutes of, of extra time we come back into it and look like we may actually get something but sort of 15-20 minutes they were picking up second balls and we just looked a little bit disjointed really I'm reluctant to get too into body language because I think it's a little bit overstated, you know, the, the idea that you need a captain to be sort of shouting and clapping a lot. But did, was anyone taking control of it, do you think, after the equaliser for England? Were they being led well enough throughout that tricky period by someone on the pitch or their manager? Is that when some experience might have helped in the team? Yes, yes, maybe. But, but, but it is difficult. Don't forget, any game you play, sitting at this level, the opposition will have a time within the game. I mean, to be honest, I thought Colombia were really poor. Uh, tonight, I thought England were always in control. Probably, you would look at and think, could they create a little bit more? But we know when the squad was picked, there wasn't great creativity within the side. So I don't think there was too many chances either end. I mean, Pickford produces an unbelievable save just before the corner. But that was all he, he had to do beside the penalty shootout. I think Ospina at the other end, wasn't called into action too much. Eric Dyer had a great chance with his header late on. So the game was tight, even though we always looked in control and Colombia were never going to cause us two problems. It was just that shift of 15, 20 minutes. Of course, you can look at certain players and say, could they have done more? But I just think it was more of the actual setup and the makeup of the team wasn't right. And that's not a criticism of anyone. So when you make substitutions to hang on to a game and the other team score, you go back to trying to win the game. And 
listen, you could argue, should you bring Dyer on? Yes or no? And, and try and see the game out. Why actually trying to get a second goal? But it is a substitution that lots of managers make where they bring an extra defensive midfield player on. Any fault for Kieran Trippier, who was on the line for the Columbia equaliser? Could he have read that ball a little bit better? It seemed odd to be on the line and, and not able to do anything about it. I wasn't sure if the pace of the ball actually beat him, really, because he, he seemed to have it under control. He didn't jump that high. I seen an interview afterwards, and he, he said he wasn't. He was getting ready for actually a header on goal. Uh, and then he's headed it down and it's just, you know, skidded up and just gone up over him. You look, listen, you put a man on the line to stop that. You know, so I think the great thing about Trippier is he's, he actually said in the interview, it was my mistake, I should have done better. Maybe he's been a little bit harsh and it was a mistake. But as I said, you put a man on the line to do better in those situations and clear it off the line. But I think the great thing about this England squad, people talk the team spirit, but also the, the ownership. I think Kyle Walker early on in the tournament in the first game held his hand up about a mistake on the penalty. And I think it's great when you have a, a team of players and at times someone makes a mistake because that is football, that's what it's about. They actually hold the hand up and don't look for excuses. And I think that, that bodes well going, going forward. You said in your column before the game that Harry Kane gets a 10 out of 10 for mentality. You could see that in the way he dispatched his penalty for the opening goal of this match. England suddenly look like a team with composure. Is, is it a bit of a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where now that, that will breed more confidence and they'll just begin to believe in themselves more and more as they come through these sorts of challenges? Of course, because at the start of this tournament, I don't think the England players or Gareth Southgate would have believed. Not so much they've got this far. I think the target was always quarter-final. Really, but I think the performance has been notches up than what we expected. Certainly in the first two games, yes, people argue that the opposition wasn't great. But if you look at England now, have played four games, three really, because I think the the Belgian game wasn't the real team. And I think there's not many teams in this competition who are actually performing better than England. Yes, there's better teams on paper, but I don't know. There's too many of, as I said, putting on those type of performance. And again, I don't think it was a bad performance from England today. I think it was it was a good performance without being a great one. And it was just a little worry where you thought there was a little wobble at one stage, but they overcome that and could have almost won it towards the end of extra time. And the biggest thing now is the the feeling within the squad when they whether they fly back tonight or they go back to the hotel, whatever it may be, they'd be absolutely delighted and elated. And you see the scenes there when they're all hugging each other, getting together, celebrating, and that relationship between them and the fans now. It hasn't been there for a long time. That it's almost feels like I'm watching a club team and I'm watching England now. There is a connection with the supporters that you see at club level and also the players. I think it looks like there is a great team spirit in there and, you know, a great togetherness and no huge egos in there trying to be the main man. It's all about the team. I noticed, I think, Phil Jones and Gary Cale sprinting on the pitch, part of the huddle and the, the, the penalty winning. I think that was always a great sign and a substitute to celebrating goals or victories. What did you make of the defending from England against Colombia? I was quite impressed with the calmness and the composure. They were passing it about uh, very calmly in, in some quite risky positions. Um, but, but can you class it as a good defensive performance when there was that lapse and they were getting deeper sort of before Colombia equalised? Oh, no. Listen, listen, I don't think Colombia put England under massive amount of pressure where you could say England defended great. But I don't think England have ever really looked in trouble in any game, really, uh, defensively. And... <laughs> The one worry is, if you look at every game, England still haven't kept a clean sheet. But I was never worried when Colombia had the ball in the last third of the pitch. You said how comfortable England looked at times playing out from the back, and that's the way Gareth Southgate wants them to play. I thought Stones was really good tonight. I thought he was very cool, very calm, always wanting the ball. He gave a couple away in extra time. He passed one out, and he went for a short throw and knocked that out of play. 
but it didn't let him affect him because he's a centre back who always shows for the ball. Now, normally we associate that with midfield players always showing for the ball, but he's actually stepping into midfield, always wanting the ball, actually controlling the tempo of the game, actually putting his foot on it, slowing the game down, looking for the right pass. I thought he was really good tonight. The same after he'd give a couple of passes away an extra time, he still wanted the ball, still stepped in in front. And if you want a centre back to do that, occasionally he will lose the ball. But I was really impressed with Stone today, his, his quality on the ball, but also his bravery to receive the ball. And what did you make of the refereeing decisions, Jamie? Since when is a headbutt on Jordan Henderson not a red card? <laughs> Listen, it's a, it's a certain red card, isn't it? I mean, I think the referee tonight, he, it was too much for him. He, was, uh, he wasn't great. He was all over the place. I mean, the antics from the Columbia players in his face. He could have easily sent a Columbia player off. I mean, I couldn't quite... It felt like the whole team had been booked. So every time someone made a foul, I was thinking it must be the second yellow. I couldn't work out. There was that many yellow cards getting shown to different players at different times. But that was a, you know, a certain red card. There's no doubt about that. But I think what there is no doubt about is I don't think the referee will be going any further in the tournament. We've seen some quite lenient refereeing at this tournament. At some point, does that lapse into becoming someone with a bit of a soft touch? You lose control of the game slightly. Yes, maybe. I think when you get the top referees and, and some things I like in this tournament is they're not fooled by sort of play acting and, and different things. Of course, a referee will make a mistake now and again, but that's sometimes I think these top referees, they're not really fooled by someone trying to buy a free kick at different times. And I think the referee tonight was, wasn't was at the, the standard of some of the others I've seen in the tournament. I mean, I, the type of player I was, I'd always prefer a referee to be a little bit more lenient than maybe going too far the other way and continually blowing up for different things. But of course, we don't want to see, obviously, things like headbutts or over-the-top tackles. You don't want to see that in the game. And the fact that the referee's missed that or he hasn't given that or what the connection was with VAR, I don't know. But uh, I think that could be the end of the tournament for the uh, American referee. Raheem Sterling as well seemingly got barged by one of the Columbia coaches on his way off at halftime. How hard is it to keep your head in moments like that when you feel like you're just being bullied? Well, I watched that. Listen, it wasn't the biggest, biggest push in the world, but I just think you're playing South American countries. You've got you've got to be ready for that. You've got to take it in your stride and almost sort of laugh at it and just say, this is what you're up against. This is when, when you play different uh, players, different countries from different parts of you know the world, they have different ways of playing and different ways to try and win a match. And you know, sometimes South Americans will do anything they possibly can to gain an edge and win the game. And that's what Colombia did tonight. They tried to slow the game down. I think they took penalties before the kickoff. I mean, they were so defensive in the game, which England found tough. England didn't create too many chances, but it meant they never really caused England problems going the other way. So that was their way, really. And as I said, I think if you offered the coach penalties before the game, they took it. They looked delighted that it had gone to penalties. But that's something we'll have to, England will have to come up against. I'm sure Sweden will be exactly the same in how they approach the game. They may be a little bit more offensive but I don't really see that now and that maybe that's sort of a compliment to England the football that they've played within this tournament even though it was only Tunisia and Panama the standard steps up so the Colombia and Sweden maybe they're showing England that much respect that they show the real top teams in this World Cup that people are now thinking that England are playing as good a football as the top teams in the competition are and a big threat to uh, will go certainly very far in this competition any obvious tweaks do you think to be made for the Sweden game? What, what should England be working on uh, before Saturday? Would you say tweets? Tweaks. Oh, we'll, tweaks. We'll do, we'll I'm do. thinking you're asking me what tweets I'm going to yeah, put out. Well, well, we'll see about that. We can, we'll can. we we'll be looking looking kindly upon that and you can start advising some of the England players okay. if you like as well. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think there's too much. I think you've got to look at Deli Ali again. Did he come off? You know, he looked like he got a knock. He still doesn't look right. I mean, he, he played really well, him and Lingard, in that first game, the problems they were causing Tunisia, but... I thought Lingard was really quiet tonight and Deli Ali. 
I thought Raheem Sterling again looked a bit more dangerous, but again, his final ball or his final shot seems to let him down. So those three doesn't hide though, does he, Sterling? He never no, seems to no, show no. the responsibility. He wants think, the ball again and again. I think he was more dangerous than the other two I've just mentioned, Deli Ali and, and Lingam. That is a little little bit of a worry. Those three players behind came the creative side of it sort of gone into a little, little bit of a lull lately in the last couple of games and it felt like the, the first game is the best game. I know Lingard's got a great goal against Panama and Ali's only come back tonight, but I just think that's something that is a little bit of worry. That sort of connection and sort of creativity and causing the opposition problems is not quite there as what we'd like. This sort of match is so familiar to me from the time I've been watching England, Jamie. You have the glimmer of hope and then the crushing disappointment, albeit with, with a different ending uh, on this occasion. I'm interested in whether, as a player, you're conscious of those sorts of patterns. When you were watching this match, did you think, oh, here we go? Or are you able to kind of divorce the emotion from it and just see it as this series of kind of footballing moments? No, to be honest, I did think that. I did. I think especially Colombia scoring that last-minute goal and then you think they've shown absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you get a goal from that and it goes in, sort of bounces and goes over the, the fella on the line's head. I think it's a bit of a freaky goal really, you don't normally concede something like that. And then you do, the way extra time goes and the flow of extra time, that Colombia looks so comfortable, really. And they were, I think they were just happy to get to penalties, but if they could have nicked something, you think, can they nick something here? And England's sort of way of playing, because of the change and the slight difference in the formation, you're thinking it is going to go that way. And then when penalty comes, yes, for all the talk, we, as I mentioned before, about penalties, you, you're still expecting it to go wrong. When Jordan misses, you just think, well, if that fella scores... The next one, it's almost done really because the pressure then coming up on Trippier, the pressure on him then to actually score just to stay in the competition goes up even more. So yes, England got a little bit of luck by the, the penalty taker, sort of two inches too high at the underside of the crossbar and that's, that's what you need. Brilliant, Jamie. Thank you very much. Get back to the important business and send some excellent tweets. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. It's a knockout round of two halves at Russia 2018, much like every other World Cup to date. But the differences between the two sides of the draw are especially stark this time around. France, Uruguay, Brazil and Belgium have congregated together on one side of the draw like nervous boys at a school disco. And two will be going home on Saturday night. James Ducker is in Sochi and joins us now to look ahead to a couple of superb quarterfinals in prospect. James, let's start with Belgium, who gave you every football writer's nightmare on Monday night with a last-second winner against Japan. Do you put much stock in the idea that winning in this manner will propel them more than, say, a comfortable 2-0 win, which is basically what we were expecting? I'm not sure it'll propel them. I was speaking to the sort of players last night. I think they all felt it was a, a big moment for them. I think they they felt that the way that they came back sort of spoke sort of volumes for their character and might be a, a big sort of moment in the development of a team that have sort of traditionally sort of fallen quite short in tournaments. Uh, obviously got beaten quite dismally by Wales at, in the quarterfinals at the European Championships and two years prior to that by Argentina in the quarterfinals of the World Cup in uh, Brazil. So I think they felt it was big for confidence, but certainly talking to Courtois afterwards, he was like, you know, we, we, we have to address our defensive issues and and he was even talking about 
a sort of change of system and a change of tactics and and maybe playing a bit deeper a bit safer and looking to break on the counter attack and and I, I would think that if they sort of go about it in the way they did against Japan then they could probably come un, unstuck uh, against Brazil because where, where Brazil are strong is where Belgium have their biggest issue so a big confidence booster for them in one sense Tom but I think it it sort of reaffirmed the sort of weaknesses that we know Belgium have and it'll be very interesting to see what Martinez does with his team selection and Kazan. De Bruyne not in the game too much against Japan it seemed like they did a bit of a, a number on him defensively obviously came up with the beautiful assist right at the end but otherwise not an amazingly memorable game for him um, how can Brazil learn from the approach of, of muzzling De Bruyne? I actually didn't think he was too bad last night. I just think the things that we see every week from him at Manchester City, I think he's getting less opportunity to, to do so with Belgium. He made a lot of interceptions and recoveries last night. He was actually very good from a defensive point of view, I thought, but it sort of negated his offensive sort of opportunities. And, you know, he's got to bear in mind that he's got two very, very attacking wing backs. Oh, actually, one call wing backs. So They're both forwards, Carrasco and Munier, essentially. And then he's obviously got three attacking players in Mertens, Lukaku, and Hazard ahead of him. So he's got a lot more defensive responsibility than he's got at City. And I don't really think the system utilizes him at the moment. But, you know, equally, I think Martinez looks around other areas of his team, and, you know, Mertens is great on the ball, Hazard's electric. Carrasco is poor, but Munier is very, very good up and, de- uh, up and down, even though. He isn't naturally sort of defensively minded. So I don't think he's had a bad World Cup. I still think he's been effective, but just just not as effective as he can be. And I think he's I think he's that good that you sort of build teams around him. So many subplots and big names going up against each other in the Brazil-Belgium match. Lukaku versus Neymar, Hazard versus Coutinho, Axel Witzel versus the ghost of David Luiz. The list goes on, James. But who's got the edge on paper? I think you logically would go with Brazil. I think I think their system and their players are more balanced. In terms of individual talent, can I actually make a case for Belgium who have got more individual talent than any team in the tournament? But I just think the setup better amplifies Brazil's strengths and sort of masks their weaknesses. Whereas I think, as you saw in the final 20 minutes against Japan, when it, when it, when it goes right for, for Belgium, the system's fantastic going forward. But I just think defensively, it leaves too many gaps and too much space. And Brazil will look at what's happened in their game so far and realise that Tongan isn't very quick. Carrasco doesn't get back as well as Munier does and that that, that side is is sort of ripe for expo- exploitation. And I got the sense from some of the players last night that they wouldn't be averse to a to a change of system. I mean, even though I think there's been very little practice with a 4-3-3 or another system, I think a lot of it has been on three at the back. The other match on this side of the draw is Uruguay versus France. Uruguay, like Belgium, have only won games in this tournament so far, looking extremely solid. Are France the team who are going to stop that winning streak? The great disappointment is that Cavani is very, very doubtful. I don't think many players recover from a calf injury in six days. If he doesn't play, it does take away a lot from that side. And as brilliant as Suarez is in so many ways, and if one guy can lead the line on its own, it's him. There's just an extra dimension, I think, to that team when when Cavani plays. And what does he give them? Well, I mean, he, he's ruthless in front of goal. You know, he stretches teams. I think they don't look to sit, to have much possession, Uruguay, but um, they've got 
uh, obviously a very, very good defence and they've got a, what is now a pretty, pretty diligent midfield to distribute the ball very well. And they find the pass to Elisa Cavani and Suarez, and they are deadly. Jose Fonte was talking after the Portugal game and he was saying that the problem with the two of them up there is that you can't channel your focus on one of them. He says they offer differing things. Suarez will harass you and hound you and never stop running the channels. But Cavani does that very well as well and they often can play really really far apart and yet they still hurt you it's not like they're playing intricate sort of one twos all the time I still think Uruguay are a threat even if Cavani doesn't play but it certainly is a bit more peace of mind for France again like Brazil in a way Uruguay are, are very very balanced I think throughout the side they've probably got the most tenacious uncompromising and I think if anyone's going to have a chance of sort of keeping Mbappe quiet and keeping that sort of Guild de France attack quiet, it's them. What about Mbappe, James? He's looked a class above his teammates, certainly, so far in this tournament. Is he your pick for the best young player in Russia? Yeah, I mean, he'd been good, hasn't he, before? I think it was just, I say a coming in age moment, but even he's had, he's not exactly unknown to any of us, is he? He's been, he was pretty electrifying for Monaco in that title winning season in France when they, when they ended up getting to the semis. And he's done well at PSG, albeit sort of almost as a bit of a support act for Neymar. And, it does feel like a moment when you do it at the World Cup, though, doesn't it? It does, it does. And I mean, I agree, it does. I mean, it, it felt like a breakthrough moment in that sense and I think it was a breakthrough moment clearly because he did it and he scored twice I just felt it, it wasn't unexpected we know that probably of the next generation he might be at, at the top of the pile so yeah I mean I, he's one of those players I think that he just sort of captivates you doesn't he I think when he's one of, he excites you whenever he gets the ball and I think the problem when you come up against a player like that is is you can be very very good for a long time in the game but then they do something they might pounce on one mistake from someone and they're in behind and, and you're in major difficulty. And I think that's what gives France such a chance at this tournament. They've obviously got very, very capable striker in Griezmann, but they've just got that that bit of X factor in Mbappe. And I mean, his confidence will be absolutely soaring after that Argentina performance. But I, if there was a defence that I would I'd put money on and in a sort of when I say defence it's sort of a defensive setup that I would put money on Telegraph Total to be able to podcast stop in association with Lions on defence is never all that much fun cannot be recommended thanks very much for joining us Charles pleasure Tom independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions remember investments can fall as well as rise who could have foreseen in this treat of a World Cup that one of the finalists will be Russia, Croatia, Sweden, or, most improbably of all, England? Possibly psychic animals like Rabio the octopus or Badian the stray cat. But unfortunately, they're both dead, much like the dreams of Lionel Messi. Anyway, here to predict the future is our very own soothsayer, psychic human being, Jeremy Wilson. Jeremy, you've been in St. Petersburg watching Sweden deflect their way through to a quarter-final appearance. What sort of problems might they cause England? Well, they've got a few things going for them. They're very good defensively. They've got a really good team spirit. They're completely the sort of Zlatan. It's the antithesis of the Zlatan era where it was, you know, all about Zlatan or Zlatan made it all about Zlatan. And now it's a very, very sort of tight-knit group. And you could see, you could see that in the way that they play. Um, they're, they're, they're very well organised. They also understand their jobs. It's like sort of cliche, but they they, they do. They they nobody's sort of out to 
be an individual. It's a sort of tight, compact system. I mean, they've knocked out some teams. They they were in Holland's group in the qualifying. They obviously played Italy in the playoff. They were in Germany's group, and now they've been Switzerland. So you can't that you know they've left quite a trail in their wake. Having said that, they are very limited going forward. Two strikers. One of them plays in the United Arab Emirates. The other has had more shots than anyone in the World Cup without scoring. It's a, probably a step down in quality, sort of technically and creatively, to Colombia and certainly. Croatia but they've got a very very good track record in the last year or two and they're very very difficult to beat you would think it will be a difficult slog again um, to, to get through them where do they look vulnerable Jeremy specifically they don't look vulnerable defensively because they've got a very, very good defence. That's the, the two centre-backs, Grankvist and Lindelof. They've got a very solid two there. They're particularly, you know, they play more or less two banks of four and the two strikers are energetic without being especially creative. So they're not vulnerable in the defensive sense, but they're limited. I think that's probably the, 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 the best word to use. They're, they're vulnerable because they, they struggle to score, basically. And I just think that once a team gets ahead of them, that's where they'll, they'll have problems. And, uh, you know, no, you know, no, no teams, they're, they're not that good defensively that they can be sure to keep England out. So I think that's their, their weakness, the fact that they, they don't, don't have a great deal of creativity. But they're good at playing on the counter-attack. I mean, the, their, their sort of best game is obviously against Mexico. Mexico beat, beat Germany on the counter-attack and Mexico didn't quite know what to do against Sweden and they really exposed Mexico a little bit in that respect. So I think England have to be careful not attack in a sort of gung-ho way, which I'm sure they won't, um, and be quite respectful of them. But I think that their weakness is, is just, if you go through their squad, it isn't a, a squad of, of tremendous quality, really. But, but to set their strength is obviously their defence, their organisation and their sort of spirit that they've, that they've got. They sound like cliches, but you could really sense that about this, this group. And a brief word on the other quarter, Jeremy. Croatia, they were the kind of dark horse pick before the tournament. Now they look like the favourites, possibly in that side of the draw. Russia, of course, the real surprise package of the tournament, the lowest ranked team in the tournament when it began, lest we forget. Surely Russia can't go any further. That, that does look like a Croatia win. It does, but it's po- I think it's possible. I mean, I would, I would bet sort of 60-40 on Croatia, but I don't think it's that anything much more than that. Croatia really laboured to be, I was at the game against Denmark as well, they really laboured to do that. It was a bit like Switzerland, Sweden, and went just went the other way, basically, um, in the shootout, uh, with, with Switzerland being the sort of slightly more possession technical team, and Sweden got a goal, and then they couldn't break them down. And then with Croatia, Croatia had most of the possession, but struggled to, to break Denmark down. And I think that they're not that good, Croatia, that... that I think if they play a team that come at them a bit more, like Argentina did, then I think they're they're very good, Croatia. But I think if they're playing a team that will just set their stall out a bit to defend and try and play on the counter-attack, they won't find it that easy. And I think that's how that's how Russia have played, really, in, in, in the tournament. So I think that they've got the the style to make it difficult for, for Croatia. So I think the fact that Croatia come through in the way they have, maybe that will just take some of the pressure off them and I always think coming through a penalty shootout sort of uh, is quite good psychologically for, for a team because it, it sort of removes a certain tension you sort of feel like you know you've, you've almost used up a life I think it sort of can free up teams sometimes so I, I think Croatia are, are slight favourites but not much more than that 
Of course, England know all about going through a penalty shootout and feeling very good about it. Football coming home, Jeremy? I don't think necessarily think England will win the competition, but I think we'll reach the semi-final, possibly even the final. I think I think we'll beat Sweden, and I, and I think that we would be, it's at least 50-50 against Croatia if Croatia progress, maybe. Coming home to the extent of a semi-final or final, I think. That'll do, that'll do. We'll get the open top bus tour ready. That's it for this episode of Total Football. We'll be back with you on Sunday after the completion of the quarterfinals. Contact me on Twitter if you'd like to speak to me before then. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Type Total Football into one of the internet's many empty boxes and you will find us with ease. Our theme tune is Write the Relation by the mighty Polvo. Head to MergeRecords.com for more on them. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the button and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist fund managers.